thank you so much also for our Patreon sponsors because Ukrainian Spaces is still 100% independent volunteer effort supported by our sponsors and uh, the work that we are able to keep doing and expand now is 100% thanks to your support. Uh, you get a lot of bonus content on our Patreon uh, page as sponsors, but most importantly, when we do have live broadcasts, just stop by, uh, ask questions in person if you have them, or leave them on Patreon page, or send them uh, in DMs during the broadcasts. We would love to uh, give you that opportunity to ask those questions as well. Yeah, um, and before we jump in and tell you a little bit about why we're here, I just wanted to ask Maxim how you're doing. We haven't done this in a while. We've had a bit of a break um, and just wanted to check in. <laughs> I, I think we had a lot of conversations with a lot of Ukrainians in recent days because of the terrorist acts that happened in Kremenchuk, the bombing of shopping mall that is still very hard um, to process for everyone. And then a series of very nasty terrorist attacks on civilian ob uh, you know, objects like uh, apartment buildings. And a lot of Ukrainians, I, I see that a lot of Ukrainians post and ask themselves that they have this guilt that sometimes whatever you do, it feels a bit out of touch and you double question yourself, like whether I should be talking about anything else or do anything else amid this genocide and amid, amid, amid this terror. And I think yeah. this is a question that a lot of Ukrainians are extra grappling these days. Uh, and it's hard to find the definite answer what we should do. Whether yeah. we should concentrate just on one topic together, or maybe we should uh, double down on whatever we've been doing, uh, because this is the ultimate kind of fuck you to terror. And I think the other thing I also just wanted to bring up since I think it's like super important to raise here is the fact that it's not been made easier with Instagram and Facebook, basically Meta, just severely, severely clamping down on anything Ukrainian on their platform, which on their platforms. I've seen like crazy stuff, like a post about like an excerpt, a photo of an excerpt from a newspaper from the day Ukraine became independent and someone shared it on their stories and it was hidden as sensitive content. Um, and I just think it's just horrific and horrendous and I don't understand what's going on. And I think we should seriously talk about it more and see where we can move in this regard together because it's getting a bit out of control. Um, okay, guys, I think let's maybe jump into today's uh, uh, topic because we have two featured Ukrainians today, not one. And uh, that's why we would love to use this space as efficiently as possible. We never introduce our featured Ukrainians and allow them to introduce themselves. Uh, yeah, I'm Katarina Sergatskova. I'm a journalist. Um, I am an editor-in-chief of Zaborona Media. It's uh, a Kyiv-based news outlet uh, that uh, writes about human rights, equality uh, and Ukrainian contemporary culture. Uh, after um, Russia uh, decided to fully invade, it, uh, invade Ukraine, uh, we switched from uh, multiple topics to uh, to the um, one main topic: uh, is human rights violations uh, by Russia. Um, because every every day, as you know, we we can see horrible uh, things that Russia do to the Ukrainians. 
uh, and recover this genocide from from different sites. So we we try to collect uh, all the evidence of um, of this uh, horrible attack on Ukraine. Uh, so yeah, and previously, uh, before the invasion, uh, Zabrona was uh, one of the uh, Ukrainian news outlets uh, who covered also uh, different radical movements in Ukraine and uh, in Russia and uh, other uh, countries in uh, so-called post-Soviet space. Uh, I really don't don't like this uh, description about post-Soviet because uh, you know. Um, so, <laughs> post-Soviet uh, should, should be uh, remaining in the history. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Time to uh, bury. So, yeah. Uh, so let's say uh, Eastern Europe. Okay. Uh, yeah. And we looked uh, into far-right movements uh, pretty deep. Uh, so I can I can say a lot about this and also uh, about how um, international press covered. Um, uh, the far-right uh, issues uh, in Ukraine. So uh, I think it would be great to, to to discuss it. Yeah, and also I want to uh, get everyone's attention to the work of uh, 2402 20, fund that uh, Katya also helps to run. I pinned a tweet uh, from that fund um, to the broadcast because it's also a very important work that I'm super grateful uh, that you do. Uh, and basically, this fund provides financial assistance to thousands of Ukrainian journalists all, ac- all across the country. Many people do not understand how big the country still uh, is. And there are thousands of journalists working on the front line, and some of them never, you know, never wanted to be a war reporters, but now they are. So thank you so much for that work, and I also want people to check that fund. Um, Nika, um, could you please also introduce uh, yourself to um, the rest, who you are, where you come from, and what what your life has been since the uh, genocide started? Um, I am uh, an executive editor of uh, the New Voice of Ukraine. It's an uh, English language version of uh, NVA UA, uh, which is one of the leading Ukrainian media, uh, along with Ukrainska Pravda, I mean, Ukrainian language. Uh, so, this is, I, I actually edit uh, the English language version of it. Um, we had a story on Azov not so long ago. Uh, also, I covered Azov for the Kyiv Post when it was still good. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, I uh, investigated Azov for OCCRP. Uh, so I also know quite a lot about Azov. And also, I can say uh, that I noticed um, many of those Western reporters who were. Uh, Azov critics and who made the names uh, on labeling Azov as neo-Nazis are now uh, self-censoring themselves. And uh, it's a very interesting topic to discuss, I guess. Yeah. And we'll go into depth um, into this topic as well, I think, with the next hour that we have a little bit less now. But guys, we're big believers with Maxim that the reason why what we do here is important is that it's important for people with lived experiences to 
lived experiences on a lot of the topics that we're talking about to really be at the forefront of leading the discussions on on Ukraine and, and in general on, on the specific topics that we'll be talking about today. But I was um, wondering, and maybe Nika, you could uh, tell us, and I'm sure everyone asks both Katya and Nika these questions, but essentially we just wanted to know where did um, where were you when the war started and yeah, how did you meet the war in Ukraine? And perhaps we can start from there because I think it's important for people to know as well contextually um, what was going on and what is going on? Uh, I can be first. So I woke up on February 24 because I heard a loud blast. Uh, first I thought it was uh, a hallucination, but then it was a second last blast uh, very close to my uh, apartment because I live next to a heating power plant in Kiev, which was... Uh, Contested, I would say, pretty much uh, during the first days of uh, the Russians wanted to seize the strategic object. So we had like intense fighting going on because I live uh, like almost outside Kiev in Trojeshina. Uh, so, yes, there was uh, then we, as many of us, I think, uh, I listened to Putin's um, rant about Ukrainians uh, this almost declaration of genocide um and uh after that uh, there was like month of living in kiev i never left uh i moved to my granny because she needed help and we observed uh, how our city changed uh we saw how ukrainians uh, in different districts were uniting and digging uh, trenches preparing food for those who were in need hunting for uh, medicine in uh, pharmacies uh, we, most of the pharmacies were closed um, like most of the stores were closed until like march like mid-march i guess uh so yes we we saw how children disappeared from our city and we saw how they returned so i think that my uh, i never actually um regretted that uh, that i stayed in kiev because uh, i really fell in love with my city finally uh, because i saw that people who usually uh, are pretty annoying <laughs> for me as a native Kievan. Uh, I, I really like don't like the crowds, don't like this lots of tourists coming. So uh, and then I I finally understood how marvelous the city is and all those people it hosted, like whatever. So yeah. But sort also of. thank you so much because through the first, especially first month, I think you quickly became this extremely crucial, important voice of Ukrainians uh, for, in English, telling very raw uh, how it is, what it's like to live in a sieged, basically almost sieged city. And uh, your reporting was um, incredibly, still incredibly moving, but also important and brave. And thank you so much. It was very important to read also for fellow Ukrainians who were outside of Ukraine just to double check what is happening and to understand a bit uh, what it's like to be on the ground as well. So thank you. 
Thank you so much for that. Um, Katya, would you like to tell us how you met the war? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I will try to be short. Um, you know, I have experience of, of covering the war uh, in Donbass. Uh, I've been to, to the war zones uh since 2014 uh i also been to iraq and i covered um as a war against isis uh, in mosul uh so i'm pretty aware um of uh how it sounds uh, like like those sounds of uh, explosions um and when i when i heard it uh, on like at five o'clock in the morning in, in kiev Mm, I understood that uh, this is not fireworks. Uh, it, it doesn't sound good. Uh, so, and since I have two kids, um, I I tried to uh, to put myself together, <laughs> uh, and then um, mm, I tried to do the same with my uh, Zabrona team uh because they are like kind of my uh kids also uh so i had to uh to prepare uh people that it will be uh very hard um and and, and still it, it is not very easy uh to to hold on in the station because every day is uh is like a this first day of the war you both mentioned uh, the that infamous speech that we all heard just uh, minutes before Ukraine started attacked with missiles. And in that speech, of course, uh, Russian dictator pronounces submission to denazify Ukraine. And I think this is uh, this is an issue that has been kind of uh, on the top of Russian propaganda agenda for years. And they've been developing this fascist argument for a very long time to kind of uh, um, to uh, come up with a reason why they need to genocide Ukrainians once again, again, at least from formal point of view. So I wanted to start with Katya, kind of ask you the question, why do you think in what the West gets wrong about the far-right problem in Ukraine? And why do you think this denazify message uh, is still has some uh, legislative like tacit backing abroad, why people are still are not sure whether um, this uh, this uh, this message is ridiculous or not true. What do you think? Well, let, let's start from from the beginning. Uh, if we uh, um, if we talk about uh, Putin and, and his circle, uh, they uh, they they main goal is to. Uh, dehumanize Ukrainians, um, and they they just uh, wanted to pick up the uh, most difficult topics uh, that still uh, are in the in discussion uh, in in Europe in the US uh, because we still have uh, a problem with uh, far right movements uh, across the globe. Uh, and somewhere we we even have a rising of far right movements, especially in in America. Uh, so uh, it was easy uh, to to take this uh, problem and to um, to to make it um, so big uh, in Ukraine. I mean, they 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 created their uh, propaganda that uh, Ukraine is almost you know. Uh, neo-Nazi nation, right? 
which is obviously not true. It, it, it cannot be true. Um, and they, they even claim that uh, Ukrainian president, who is Jewish, uh, is also uh, Nazi, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous. And they know that, uh, but they just uh, have to uh, somehow, um, you know, j- j- just just to, to claim uh, that that Ukraine is uh, not a state that deserves uh, living. Yeah, but it's uh-huh. also important to like for Russian propaganda uh, to point out that for them, everyone who disagrees with Russia all the time is a Nazi. So basically, that's term that they used not only about Ukraine, but they use it about everyone. The West is fascist, you know, the Baltic states are fascist. Everyone who sends, uh, you know, uh, arms to Ukraine are fascists and so on and so on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, they just um, they just say that um, anyone who, uh, who defend uh, their land and their country uh, is a fascist. We have uh, uh, we have some issues with uh, uh, far right in Ukraine, uh, and they just took mm-hmm. it and and made it uh, big. You know, they they made they made a, a like thousands of fake news about that. Yeah, uh, they used I, it to uh, yes to put their I narrative think, around it. Uh, yeah, but uh, I think it is not. Uh, it is it is not um, healthy to deny uh, that we didn't have any issues uh, with uh, with far right. Uh, so that's why we we gathered uh, tonight, I guess, to um, to bring some uh, yeah. information yeah. about what what was going on and how Russia uh, used um, the issues to to create their huge propaganda to destroy ukrainians yeah absolutely so i actually that's a perfect bridge i know that uh, nika you as well have done a lot of work on on looking at in general obviously the propaganda of the kremlin that's been used to fuel the war that's happening right now but also you know internal uh situation in ukraine so i just wanted to ask you since narratives and propaganda is one thing but in your opinion and from your work and research that you've been doing, what is actually the situation with um, neo-Nazis, Nazis in Ukraine? Um, I would say that the situation in Ukraine is uh, the same as the situation everywhere else right now. We have the problem with far right, yet it is not that widespread as in other countries, for example, in America, or Hungary, or even Lithuania, uh, and uh, I would say, or, or, or Poland. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, Ukrainian uh, far-right were labeled Nazis uh, because of symbols they used, uh, and uh, also because uh, Ukraine, in the eyes of many in the world, still is not equal enough uh, therefore, I say that our far-right problem is highlighted because Russia, because of Russia, because Russia is doing this, uh, like using uh, this problem to come and uh, denazify us. Uh, but it was not that way. It was like 
a favorite topic of the West, uh, Western journalists, many, uh, I guess we know, uh, I, won't, I won't name them, but still they're getting a lot of backlash right now because um, when you equal an ordinary Azov far-right guy who might be a, even a thug, uh, like uh, we know um, Maluta ha has this very interesting business on the side of Azov movement. They made Azov movement look the same. They never like uh, estimated that mm -hmm. uh, there is Azov regiment, which is a part of the National Guard. There is National Corps, which is political project, uh, like failed political project of Ndibiletsky. Uh, uh, so, and at the same time, uh, the Azov movement has these guys who fought in Azov style. They also can be considered a part of the Azov movement, yet they are more, like, decent, I would say. They are part of the National Guard. They, uh, they had redemption, I would say. They, uh, they protected our country, uh, and they usually sacrificed, sacrificed everything for Ukraine. And I, I would never... Um, equal them with the guys like Bilecki or Korotki. Hmm. I have a I have a perfect follow up here, but uh, before that, I mean, you guys both mentioned uh, the the issue with far rights and how it's different from the rest of the world. And I think uh, Katya was also brilliantly pointed out that Russian propaganda was so successful because they basically pinned the issue that it's so prevalent. Uh, prevalent in uh, prevalent in uh, other Western countries, but for the matter of fact, the Ukrainian far right groups uh, have uh, one of the lowest political power support in in uh, in Europe. So, um, nationalistic parties, which are not even sometimes could be labeled as uh, ideally or um, uh, clearly far right, they have around just two percent of public support in Ukraine. And that figure compares to Hungary, what it's 50% in France, you know, now it's like almost quarter in Italy, it's 17%. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, figures and a lot of these forces that we now discuss and are being used to amplify the issue of uh, far right, uh, Ukrainian far right abroad are quite recent characters and they uh, resurfaced with the Russian invasion in 2014, including the uh, Azov battalion. So Nika, I wanted to have a quick follow-up and then to Katya as well. Uh, what do you think is, um, what is the big uh, misconception or distortion when it comes to uh, first and foremost foreign coverage? of uh, far-right uh, issues and far-right groups in Ukraine. What do you think um, foreign journalists um, get wrong or how would you do it differently uh, if you were them? Uh, I would say that I would not uh, equal Nazis and far-right because uh, as one expert told me, uh, unlike uh, far-right, and radicals who usually want uh, their own culture to um, like be special and to be above all. Uh, those far right, they usually do not 
invade other nations and suppress their rights to uh, like make uh, their own culture superior while nazis uh, they usually uh, invade and kill for um, their own perversive beliefs and this is what uh, most uh, of western coverage did before the start of the invasion the reporting radicalism right now has this far right and in brackets neo-nazis so this is i think and has that, do you think, and a question to both of you, has that changed since the full-scale invasion, since February, or do you think it, a lot of media keep reinforcing the same, like, the same things over and over again that you're talking about, Nika? I would say that uh, um, many of those big media companies, they are very bad at admitting their own mistakes. Like CNN recently did, they say that something very... And specific, like, well, Azov is Nazis, but not like quite Nazis, Nazis. They're like special Nazis, and this like messes people's minds even more. Katya. Um, you know, uh, when it comes to far right uh, in Ukraine, uh, we should um, uh, we should say like, who are those far right? Of mo movements uh, in Ukraine, and it is uh, th there are like different, really different uh, movements, and I just wanted to um, to tell you just shortly about them. Uh, for example, we have uh, nationalists whose goal is to defend Ukraine's independence, uh, and it is more about uh, anti-colonialism um, process. Uh, they they just want to. Um, they want Ukraine to be a, um, a sovereign state uh, and to be not, not dependent on, on Russia, right? Um, and you can um, recall, um, for example, uh, the right sector. Uh, they are, like, absolutely nationalists. Um, uh, there are, uh, are far-right movements that came from Russia uh, and as uh, Nika mentioned uh, several times, uh, Sergei Krotkiv, uh, Krotkiv uh, Maluta, uh, he's from Russia, he's a Russian uh, citizen uh, who created um, a network of, um, of far-right, very radical uh, guys uh, in Russia, um, like, like skinheads uh, movement. Uh, that uh, attacked uh, people in Russia, uh, LGBTQ, um, uh, different um, uh, eth like, uh, ethnical uh, group uh, representatives uh, in Moscow and St. Petersburg. Uh, so they um, they were just attacking people uh, because of their uh, religion. Uh, they skin color, um, uh, sexuality, you name it. Uh, and after 2014, after the annexation of Crimea, Russian uh, far-right movement uh, was divided uh, because some of them um, 
decided to 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 stay in Russia and to salute Putin for for the uh, Crimea, uh, and some of them um, decided to uh, to be with Ukraine, and many of them um, moved to Ukraine in 2014 uh, and they they just joined um, uh, different local movements in Ukraine for example uh, Sergei Krokich uh, he became um, one of the uh, creators of Azov Battalion uh, along with Andrei Bilecki uh, and then he he worked for uh, for the Ministry of Internal Affairs for three years the Azov Battalion uh, uh, very quickly became a regiment under National uh, Guard. So they 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 separated um, the battalion from the political project, and Sergei Korotkich um, joined uh, this political project. Uh, he created a national squad uh, under the uh, Azov Movement umbrella, uh, and. Their goal was to uh, to to take part in different protests uh, across the country, uh, and they attacked uh, queer people, uh, LGBT prides across the country. Uh, they participated in a Roma pogrom in Kiev, and, and that there were like uh, lots of cases uh, with the participation of. Um, um this national squad uh members uh but it was like kind of unofficial uh it was not um pretty like linked to to the uh, um national corps as a party or to yeah. as of a regiment as a uh, you know, as a, a national guard, um, and also it's probably very important to point out that, uh, so to say, Azov or other uh, prominent far right groups that emerged in 2014, uh, those are not the same groups today. And the people who were at the beginning with those groups are no longer with those groups today. And they went through also dramatic changes from within. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, it's, that, that's absolutely true. Uh, because some some people from National Corps they quit and they had uh, uh, pretty wild conflicts with uh, Sergei Krotkich and and Andrei Bilecki, uh, for example, Nazar Kravchenko or um, uh, or Sergei Filimonov. Um, mm. They they created a, a new movement uh, which is called uh, Gonor. Um, and they, um, they like, I don't know, street activists, uh, yeah. they, they are pro-democratic right now, uh, and yeah. they decided, you know, to, to not to participate in, in those things. You know, one of the things that's been frustrating me for a really long time is when, whenever, you know, we hear people talk about Ukraine's neo-Nazi problem, for me, I always think about Russia, right? For me, like, I don't know if you guys have seen it or any of the people in our audience have seen it, but there's a documentary by Reggie Yates, when, and he's obviously a British black man who goes to um, Russia and sort of investigates the far, not the far right, the neo-Nazi situation in Russia. And it's just so, it's not, you know, one of the most in-depth investigations, but it just illustrates the fact that Russia itself 
whilst telling Ukraine that we have this problem are themselves, you know, where to me as a Ukrainian, I've always I just remember even from like teenage years and things like that, always hearing about these like horrific stories of like executions by neo-Nazis in Russia and just the rise of like skinheads and all of this stuff. And so I just wanted to ask Katya maybe and, and then Nika as well. The thing that people miss a lot of the time is this actual direct connection between the Russian neo-Nazi movement and whatever happening is happening across the world and in Ukraine and whatever. So I was just wondering if you could tell us just a little bit more about the role that, you know, Russian neo-Nazi skinheads, etc. play in 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 sort of fostering a lot of a lot of what we're seeing happening across the world today and maybe in Ukraine in particular as well. Yeah, thank you for the question. It's, it's really, uh, really interesting because I think uh, that uh, Russian neo-Nazis uh, are playing um, uh, the same uh, big role uh, in, the, in the situation as, uh, as Russia itself uh, plays a, uh, its, its, its role uh, in imperialism and in, in colonialism. Um, because uh, that it's all started from from Russia, from those um, uh, skinhead movements. Um, it, it came from uh, football fan uh, clubs uh, that that created actually uh, those uh, radicals who were fighting with each other uh, all the time. And it, it was really bloody mess uh, in the beginning of the uh, like 90s and and officials they didn't want to you know to to put them all uh, in prison uh, they tried to use them for internal propaganda uh, to they were uh, they were scary for the population uh, because people have seen that they are beating people on the streets uh, they were big fights and and uh, officials just created this kind of a um, uh, terror fear like it was with um, Chechnya as I, as I told you before uh, when when Russia annexed Crimea uh, it, it divided uh, the movement and uh, a lot of uh, people with this uh, brainwashed mind uh, just moved to Ukraine and they they started to um, you know, they, they try to uh, create something like uh, they they have seen in Russia, yeah. in which they participated in Russia. Uh, it was, you know, the same patterns. Yeah, uh, and and you have, uh, by the way, your reporting is also mentioned uh, many times, uh, very strong ties between Russian fascists that moved to Ukraine and FSB and Russian uh, state uh, security services and something that unfortunately hasn't been covered as much. And uh, I think that people also, uh, it, it, it kind of, cre it kind of in my head is very bizarre situation when uh, uh, Russia is sponsoring far rights um, all across the world, especially in uh, Europe. It actually is friends with uh, the most fascist uh, regimes you can possibly find. Yet the focus is still on uh, far rights in Ukraine that don't have any political even power in the country. 
And, yeah, uh, yes, but uh, uh, so, sorry to, to interrupt you. I just wanted to, to tell that I think that um, like most of the uh, those uh, Russian uh, far right who came to to Ukraine, uh, they they were not paid by Russia. Uh, they they were just brainwashed with uh, with you know this uh, ideology with uh, with this uh, movements and and they uh, they, they just. Um, uh, obviously, they uh, they had benefits uh, yeah. for, for what they were doing uh, still yeah, in Ukraine, but uh, the source of of the money uh, was different. They just switched. Yeah, uh, yeah and sometimes you know it, it it is hard to say. Do these people uh, really share uh, the same ideology? Uh, so I, I would rather say that many of them promote some radical views to receive public approval. For example, the, that. Um, we could see that uh, people can protest pro-Russian politics, like Medvedchuk, um, mm. uh, and and tomorrow they will attack uh, queer people, and, yeah. and this worked because they were respected in in some pro-democratic, pro-Ukrainian protest activities, and and when they attacked uh, queer people, nobody wanted to resist them. Uh, yeah. For example, police even, uh, because they could easily say that whoever criticized those groups are pro-Russian. Yeah. So the main problem, I guess, uh, was that the police didn't react properly to these cases, uh, to this violence. I think I, as a queer person, as also as a person who's uh, you know been all many years on the front uh, front 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 line of this. Uh, standoff between far rights and uh, our attempts to publicly protest as queer Ukrainians. I think it's been also a journey. So I wouldn't, I say that the support from uh, law enforcement got, uh, not support, but them make, doing their job, uh, protecting our public events uh, became better and better uh, with the years. And of course, uh, you know, even now, uh, for example, seeing police and interior ministry engaging with us amid genocide on the issues of uh, hate crime legislation and how to make sure that this legislation is finally passed. This for me is extremely, um, I'm very glad to see it as a queer person. We started uh, basically in such a horrible uh, situation uh, almost a decade ago and seeing this progress is, is very important for me. But Wanted to move to Mika a bit. I have a question for you about, again, global media coverage and global perception of this problem um, outside. So, and again, in these explainers that Stas and Marishka shared, they uh, basically also touch upon how global media pick, uh, pick up Russian narratives about uh, fascists in Ukraine. And they say, like, I'm, I'm quoting that, Independent media are still biased. They seek balance and tend to give voice to all sides of all the conflict. They also have to write things that get more clicks and reads. That's why so many Western journalists have picked up the narrative of Ukrainian Nazis and have been covering it excessively since 2014, leaving the big picture of Russian aggression out of focus. As a result, you see little coverage of Nazi groups in Russia or literally fascist Russian organizations fighting for Russia in Donbass, but for some reason, Everybody has heard about the Ukrainian Azov Battalion. Um, would you agree that this is more or less accurate portrayal? And also, you know, how uh, how do you feel about these imbalances, if they are really there, in your opinion? 
I think that uh, if we think that way, we can like uh, go into this very unpleasant whataboutism. Uh, we still have this problem, and uh, even um, I had a discussion where I was like asking the same thing and the person who uh, works for uh, one of the like major media corporations of uh, uh, the United States, he explained that uh, the reason why you see Ukrainian coverage of uh, like Ukrainian Nazis is that uh, because Ukraine is in focus and uh, media has uh, like have to always find the, the the topic that will draw attention of readers and for some reason when you hear the word nazi it is like like a magnet for the audience therefore some major corporations they do not care about the nuance or what their story can do uh to the country like ukraine uh what they care is to write another very loud uh story uh for example like one of the azov fighters are is training um american nazis or uh, U.S. senators want to include us off into the list of ter terrorist organizations. Why they're doing that is that because Azov is always in the media and uh, therefore Azov is special. Uh, I, I would say, like, I had a conversation with Svetoslav Palomar, one of the Azov commanders uh, who is now... Uh, in Russian captivity, it was like two days before they got into captivity and uh, surrendered uh, to Russians. And uh, he told me that he thinks that uh, partly Russian propaganda is working very hard uh, to cement the narrative of the Azov Nazis. Mm into the minds of the West, because uh, we all know that uh, Russia today has... Uh, uh, billions of finances like every year uh, we all may be jealous as media workers uh, of that budget uh, so yes uh, we cannot compete with such a machine uh, and um, the fact that we are trying to say that uh, no they are not Nazis uh, doesn't work here because as you mentioned uh, it's he said she said situation or like the both sides situation uh, why uh, I think it still sticks is because of the Azov emblem unfortunately the emblem is still the weakest point of this uh, regiment because Wolf's Hangul is still considered a Nazi symbol even despite the fact that many German provinces still have this symbol on their uh, flags. Uh, so I think this symbol and the white sun uh, that used to be on the chevrons, and I think it's not that common anymore, uh, is main argument of uh, the Azov critics and Ukraine critics, because as you see, even the Kremlin says, that the first thing you should do if you want to uncover Ukrainian Nazi is to look at the uh, 
tattoos and symbols uh, he wears. Uh, and uh, as uh, Vyacheslav Lekhachov told me, is not things are not even about symbols right now, but about actions. And while Azov bearing this uh, Wolfsangel-looking symbol is fighting for Ukraine and defending um, the nation, uh, the Z warriors are behaving as actual Nazis because we all heard about the numerous um, uh, witnesses statements uh, of what they were doing and also what I really uh, hate uh, is that people do have very short memory and uh, they do not remember and do not read anymore a clear fascist manifesto published by RIA uh, I guess it was in April uh, it says what should we do with Ukraine and it's basically the Ubermensch, Untermensch theory, but for Russia, which says that millions of us should be destroyed, uh, that we should be re-educated, re that all our uh, uh, media representatives, intelligentsia, so-called, should be killed. Because it yeah, is... The final solution for Ukraine. Yes, yes, yes. As, but people... For some reason, they did not notice that, and this is, I guess, it may, it may be one of the main evidences of who's the real Nazis is here. Maybe it's also goes uh, comes from a bit of confusion, especially abroad, because between nationalism and patriotism. Because, for example, I have this uh, tattoo of uh, the word freedom in Ukrainian on my hand. And for some, you know, people outside in West, in the West, especially far left people, the exhibit, exhibit public exhibit of, of love for your country, of patriotism, for them, it's automatically somehow turns into fascism or nationalism, which I don't really understand even. But for them, this is all the same. And I think this is uh, creates a lot of confusion for people out abroad as well. They treat all us as like, uh, you know, patriotic people. This is the same as fascists or something like that. Um, this is a really bizarre. Okay, guys, I think, unfortunately, we'll have to wrap up um, soon. But before we go to our final question, I also want to quickly ask uh, Katya about the issue that you definitely have online um, with a lot of, uh, as a journalist, with a lot of uh, um, bullying and accusation um, that this is, this is wrong to pick up those uh, topics to cover them. Um, and uh, how do you, do you feel like, uh, do you understand where it comes from? Do you feel like uh, this is something that uh, bothers you much? Um, would you like to address it? Because I, I know that's a huge issue for sure for, not only for you, for many journalists these days, but uh, how do you usually approach this? Uh, sure, many many people uh, think that uh, if you have covered a far right topic, uh, it means that you played in Putin's hand and helped him to invade Ukraine. Uh, and um, I mean, um, people really have a short memory, <laughs> and they don't want to to read actually the sources. Um, and when when it when it comes to um, uh, uh, to thought what what like what 
can I say to, to those haters, right, who, who are telling that? Um, I can say that, um, like, Russia could use anything uh, to attack Ukraine. Uh, they, they just wanted to, uh, to eliminate Ukrainians and to destroy Ukraine. And they just uh, choose some some of the points that they could use. Uh, and we all know, like, like people who are sane, uh, know that uh, Russia didn't have any right to liberate anyone from anything. They, they didn't have a uh, little right to, uh, to invade Ukraine. And uh, when they um, uh, like um, explain it by some far-right neo-Nazi issues or anything else, it's just uh, like it's just they, their reason to attack Ukraine. Uh, and also, I think the West should learn that um, uh, they uh, they they didn't look uh, at Russia uh, when it came to um, uh, Nazism, actually, and they uh, they they just should learn uh, history and and history of of those movements and 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 the roots of the Russian Nazism. I hope that this invasion uh, will be uh, a not, not, not good start, but uh, just the actual start for, for, for this conversation. With yeah. And we were just talking to Maxim, I think I was saying that, you know, sometimes it's so hard to like talk about a topic without sometimes reinforcing or like bringing out painful or you know some of these misconceptions that we're talking about but i'm glad that we did today because it's super i think important for people to hear directly from 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 you from nika as well and for us ukrainians to feel comfortable enough with talking about this publicly and to everyone around us <laughs> yeah but that's what journalists also do uh, i think by default we talk about the uh, you know, topics of public interest and importance no matter how complicated they are so uh, I do get that people get frustrated that some topics might be not timely in their view, but uh, this is the, the difference between Ukraine and Russia, where here have the right and freedom to talk and discuss and debate and disagree, while as in Russia, there is nothing of sorts and freedom of expression on, or journalism is not there anymore. So let's yeah. remember that as well yeah so this is a perfect uh, segue into our last favorite question that we always ask everyone and this is a little bit i guess for us ukrainians to you know build what it means to be ukrainians in general for ourselves and our nation and so on and so and and sort of yeah create that moving forward but uh, maybe nika first what does it mean to be ukrainian for you and has that changed since the beginning of this full-scale invasion and if it did how Mm, I actually haven't changed. I changed like 
two years before the full-scale invasion started, when I switched to Ukrainian language, uh, because I was uh, raised in a Russian-speaking family of uh, Soviet professors, uh, and uh, I saw nothing wrong in speaking Russian, and I still see nothing wrong uh, like for other people, but for me it was the question of identity. Because when I was abroad and I was speaking Russian, people were like thinking I was Russian and knowing nothing about my nation. And uh, it was really tricky and hard for them to explain what was the difference between a Ukrainian and the Russian, and why do I speak Russian if I'm a Ukrainian. So, yes, for me, it was uh, the language issue um, to understand my nation, my culture, because I usually usually don't didn't see anything wrong with a Pole speaking Polish and uh, all people who uh, live in Poland, they still have to study Polish. But for some reason in Ukraine, language was an issue. And many of our uh, like own citizens didn't want to learn it. And they, and I, I guess it's the key part of the identity. Uh, and uh, what uh, changed uh, after the start of the uh, full-scale invasion is that I understood that uh, I no longer can think and care about only myself uh, and my well-being. Uh, I have to help others and uh, I'm actually proud of the fact that uh, I donated like my <laughs> monthly salary uh, like in two months. I feel no like um, remorse, <laughs> if I can say so. I don't feel that I lost those money. I feel that somebody who need them more got them. So yeah, I became le less greedy. Yeah, thank you, Nika, for sharing that. Kadia, I know, you know, we got to wrap up, but the same question to you, especially, I think it's a special one since you're Ukrainian by choice. So um, I know it's been a journey for you in recent years, but has it changed in any way in uh, recent uh, months and what it means for you to be Ukrainian these days? You know, I've always, I've always explained uh, to foreigners uh, what it's like uh, to live in Ukraine and to be Ukrainian. That it means to be uh, uh, to be free. Uh, and uh, it really means a lot uh, to me uh, just to be free, to, uh, to be able to, to speak uh, about uh, difficult topics, about like everything that, that you could, uh, you know, think about. Um, it means that uh, you have uh, a really special sense of community um, that people really uh, really like to help each other and um, it, this is this is something uh, I never um, I never seen uh, such uh, such passion 
um, in in another countries in other nations uh, because I think yeah uh, Ukrainians are very very strong and uh, and they are fighting literally for for freedom and um, when it comes to this invasion uh, is just prove it uh, that uh, we all really can uh, fight till till the end uh, for our freedom just just to make sure that uh, that we are not afraid to talk about things um, and I guess this is the 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 most powerful thing about Ukraine. Powerful indeed, yeah, because, you know, as we like to say, freedom is our religion, and I think it's, uh, it runs true, uh, especially today. Thank you so much, both for you, Katya and Mika. No, thank uh, you, thank you, guys. You are doing an amazing job. Thank you um, thank for your time. Uh, thank you for coming. As we say to all people, you know, all our featured Ukrainians, Ukrainian spaces is for you to claim. So at any point you want to come back and talk about the issues you want to talk, you claim this space and you come back and we have you uh, once again because it's been an important conversation. But also as a fellow journalist, I'm in such, I have such a big respect to your work, and I think what you do for Ukrainian journalism, especially these days, is ex extremely important. So thank you so much. And for everybody else, um, you know, guys, I know that you often have questions or requests. So uh, if you want to have a priority seat and ask questions to our guests, maybe even in person, please consider becoming our Patreon sponsors. This is the right that our uh, sponsors on Patreon have, uh, and we provide them. So that's it. I think apart from one thing is um, Slava Ukraini. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.